Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. You guys glad to be here? Absolutely. We have been working our way through the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. I'll tell you what, this has been an amazing study. I have absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I feel like this study has been a little bit like a, uh, a cool dip in a backyard pool on a hot summer day. You know what I'm talking about? Or after a 10-mile hike down into the canyon and diving into Havasupai Falls. I mean, the, the, the text that uh, we've been looking at and then what we're going to look at this morning is absolutely amazing. And uh, so More Than Conquerors has been our teaching series. We're going to be looking at this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 17. I'll probably read all the way from the top down to these verses and kind of give a little brief explanation. It's always good to keep in mind the context of this. We've been covering a lot of material here, and so don't hesitate to take a look at that uh, online and download any of those messages. Get our DB app and listen to these. It'll keep you up to speed with where we've been. We're going to talk about fearlessness this morning, fearlessness. And uh, there are a lot of things to make us fearful in our day and time. Would you agree with that? Tons of things. I I was just going through my mind some of the things that create some fear and anxiety within me, and and maybe you can relate to some of these things. If you watched any of those conventions here recently with politics, that's pretty frightening. What we've got going on here in our culture today really reveals the heart of our our country in so many different ways. And then I was thinking, of course, the economy. We're still trillions of dollars in debt as a country. Uh, You know, know, and that's... uh, no telling what that's going to create in our economy here in the future. And then, of course, terrorism is still a major threat. We have not seen the end of that. We still have some major uh, things to, to deal with. And then, of course, you've got disease and, and death. And then marriage can be quite frightening. And uh, you, guys, you guys agree? With this? I think the, over here, I think we've got some uh, issues over here on this side of the... That's pretty, pretty scary stuff, isn't it? How about, uh, how about parenting? Is that scary? Any parents ever struggle with like, oh my goodness, did I give them all that they need to uh, deal with adulthood? I'm still dealing with this, and my kids have been out of our home for 15 years, and I'm still uh, and concerned about how they're raising their kids, and so it creates all kinds of fear, and then of course, if you're a college student, you're wondering, what college am I gonna go to? What's my career path? Uh, am I going to be able to keep this job? What, how can I find a job? And so the list goes on of the things that can make us very fearful. If you don't have some anxiety, it's because you're out of touch with reality, okay? <laughs> you're out of touch with reality or you are trusting God perfectly. And you probably aren't, okay? You're, if you're like the rest of us, we all struggle with this whole thing called trust, trusting God with the issues of our life. And what I've found in my own life, and I, f- I find in, in your lives too as I hang out with you, is that denial is so pervasive that we can fail to see our, our fearfulness because of our denial. When I was on the fire department, we had a cycle of uh, company training that dealt with uh, stress management, and they brought in a counselor, and I, <laughs> I found it really quite interesting how... Uh, they went around and started asking all the firefighters if they had stress in their life, and there was almost this tough guy, tough gal persona that they all had. I don't have stress. Nobody has stress. We don't have stress. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this job is incredibly stressful. And, and as this counselor began to point out a lot of the symptoms that they were blinded to because of, uh, because of their denial and, and because of their addictions, because when you look at first responders, I mean, they have a high divorce rate, 85%. High suicide rate, high alcohol rate. So when he, the counselor started mentioning those things and a number of other symptoms, they begin to realize, yeah, we do have a lot of stress in our lives. And so it, it can be, fearfulness can be masked by our addictions. Eating too much, sleeping too much, working too much, drinking too much, leisure and TV too much. Why, why would you do that? Because you're probably trying to cover up some turmoil and pain on on the inside or exercise too much, medicating our fears, our anxieties, and stress. And so here's, here's the, the point, and take a look at your notes, and this is kind of the big idea here. It doesn't make sense that Almighty God would have children characterized by fear and insecurity. 
I'm not saying that you're not going to have that in your life. You're going to have it from time to time, but you shouldn't be characterized. It shouldn't be chronic in your life. Fear and insecurity shouldn't be chronic in your life. You should not be characterized by fear and insecurity. Fearlessness should characterize the children of God. Chronic fearfulness in a believer is often the result of forgetfulness. We have, we, we, we are all identity amnesiacs. You guys tracking with me there? We're all identity amnesiacs, and we're a whole lot like uh, the action hero Jason Bourne from Born Identity. I guess they just released the, 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 his latest episode here this weekend. But I mean, when you watch the movies, it's just like he's trying to find, why, why am I here? What is this about? What is my life about? We, we tend to struggle with that. And in fact, to the degree you forget who God is and who you are as his child and what you have been given by his grace is to the degree that you will experience fearfulness in your life. So it's forgetfulness that creates the fearfulness in our lives. And um, so fearlessness happens through, and there's four words we're looking at here that we're going to draw from this text. Fearlessness happens through intimacy, security, assurance, and inheritance. That's where we're headed with this. I was, I was meditating on, uh, I, I don't know if you do this, I would encourage you to do it. I read through the Bible every year, a couple times every year. So I've, I've landed in Joshua chapter one, and as you guys well know, Joshua takes over the leadership from Moses, and God's speaking to him, and in that text, there was a couple verses that just, they're powerful verses. One is, uh, in the, it's the ninth verse of the first chapter, and he says, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For I am the Lord your God who will be with you wherever you go. And in that verse, you have the two, uh, the, the most frequent command and the most frequent promise in the Bible, as we will see in our text today. The most frequent command, don't be afraid. The most frequent promise in the Bible, I will be with you. And so okay, that's where we're headed. And so let's start with prayer. We need a lot of help for God to illuminate his word, to help us to apply it to our lives, and then we'll dive into this text and unpack these notes. Let's pray. God, we are delighted to be here today. We, we love you. We love spending time with you. We love the time that we had in, in worship and worshiping you through song, and now we worship you in the study of your word. Thank you for the gospel, the good news that you have reconciled us to yourself by sending your son Jesus to die in our place for our sins, and all who repent and believe have eternal life. We confess that, that too often we don't live in the reality of this amazing truth and are filled with fearfulness more than fearlessness. So, Father, we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that who you are and who we are as your dearly loved children would loom so much larger, so much larger than anything we could face in this fallen world that our hearts would experience an ongoing strength, courage, and peace that goes beyond our understanding to face anything in life for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees with this prayer says, amen. amen, amen. So let's take a look at this text. Let me start reading. In fact, here's my cards. I've been writing them down. And, uh, and the next text I noticed, it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit harder to memorize. But I've been working through these. And oh my goodness, it's just, it's, this is a wonderful section of scripture. And so let me begin reading this. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We'll kind of work through it. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set us free from the penalty of sin. Bang, right out of the, right out of the blocks, right there. And then he, in verse 2, he talks about how he set us free from the power of sin working in our lives. And he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in verses 3 and 4, he talks about how he does this. So verse 3 is telling us how he sets us free from the penalty of sin. Verse 1, he says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. The cross. The cross has set us free from the penalty of sin. That all of our sins, 
Past, present, future. He will never, ever, ever hold those against us. That is amazing. That would be enough right there to, to send you through the ceiling. I mean, just to, to keep you going for the rest of your life. And then verse 4 he shows us how he has set us free from the power of sin. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, what's the righteous requirement of the law? Is love. We talked about that a few weeks ago and that we will have this capacity to love God and love our neighbors unlike ever before. And notice he says this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, but in us. How's that? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's placed his Holy Spirit within us. And now he goes on and begins to explain what this spirit-filled life looks like in verses, uh, in verse 5, he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's what I want. How many want life and peace? I do. I want life and peace in the midst of whatever, whatever circumstances, whatever I'm dealing with, with people or things or whatever's going on in my life. He's saying you can have life and peace if you do what? If you set your mind on, on the spirit. We've got to talk a little bit more about that. We, we, we dealt with that extensively a few weeks ago. But then he says, uh, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. So what's this whole idea between the flesh and the spirit? Well, the flesh is a self-salvation project. It's actually believing that you're going to find your sense of meaning, purpose, uh, happiness, somewhere in creation apart from the creator. That's the flesh. To where the spirit is saying, nope, nope, game over. I find my satisfaction in him. So, so what you're going to be doing as we said uh, a couple weeks ago, are you living to justify yourself or are you living because you are justified? If you're living to justify yourself, um, then you're living according to the flesh. But if to live according to the Spirit is you're living because you are justified. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's, that's part of that. So he says, you're going to be hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, talking about those who live, who set their mind on the flesh. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him, this is a great verse right here. Hey, they're all great, okay? They're all great, but this one's great, greater. They're all great, but in the spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's pretty powerful. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Are you overwhelmed by life? You don't need to be. You've got what you need right here. And that verse is telling us that we have his power in us that's greater than anything that we will ever face. I mean, I don't always live like that. I struggle with that. That's part of that. I'm learning to trust God with the reality of that in my life. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Boy, when you understand what you have in Jesus Christ, you feel like, oh, I'm forever indebted to him. And but notice he says, he makes this contrast, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now here's our text. Okay, okay. Woo! Here's our text for today. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This next verse is what... Um, this is at the root of all of our struggles because we don't know this. We're not living in the reality of this. This is what ails us more than anything is not knowing this next verse. It's not living in the reality of it. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And as children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. That is good stuff. Good stuff. So, okay, so here we go. Let's talk about this. 
And so fearlessness happens through, here's the first word on your notes, intimacy. It happens through intimacy. That's what he's talking about in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In fact, it, it gives validation to the fact that you are truly a son of God because you're being led by the Spirit of God. Being led by the Spirit of God, notice he doesn't say being driven by the Spirit of God. He's, you're being led. He's gentle. He's kind. He's loving. He doesn't drive us. He leads us as a shepherd leads his sheep. We have interaction with him. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to discuss this with the folks sitting around you real quick. Two questions. Two questions. What's the greatest thing that God could do for you? What's the greatest thing that God has given to you? What's the greatest thing that God could do for you? What's the greatest thing that God can give to you? These are the two things. If you were to ask from God both of these, what, what could he do for you? What could he give to you? What would be the greatest? Real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Okay, here's, here's, uh, here's my answer for you, okay? See if you guys line up uh, pretty closely with this, with this answer. Uh, there is nothing greater that God could do for you than to reconcile you to himself. And he's done that. He did that. That's, that's verses one and three. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That was, that, what that, that's what that means. He has reconciled us to himself and then... Verse, verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. He did that through the cross. Okay, here's, here's the answer to the next question and that there is nothing greater that God could give to you than the gift of himself. Amen. Than the gift of himself. So the, the greatest thing he could do for you is to reconcile you to himself. The greatest gift that he could give to you is for him to give himself to you. That's the greatest gift that he could give to you, the gift of himself. Now listen to me. This is the main difference between Christians and non-Christians. See, as Christians, listen to me. We have been reconciled to God and God has given us, the greatest gift of all, himself to us. He indwells us. And that's, that's verses two and four. So that's the first four verses. This is the major difference. And this is what I love about Christianity more than anything. I have God in my life. I've been reconciled and that reconciliation. I have union with God and now I have communion with God and, and that will never, ever be taken from me. It's, it's the sweetness of his presence in my life. I absolutely love that. It's my favorite about the Christian life. It's the best thing about the Christian life. Now, being led by the Spirit of God, intimacy involves, and I want to do a quick summary. We're just going to kind of go through the verses that lead up to our text here today. And so I, I just gave you the first four verses that tell us that we have been reconciled and we have the gift of himself in our lives. And so it just makes sense that if you're a Christian and what sets you apart from non-Christians, you've been reconciled to God and you have God in your life, then you're going to have some interaction with God because that's what he says in verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So let me ask you, do you have interaction with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you talk to God? Does God talk to you? That's, that's called a relationship. And so there should be this mutual giving and receiving of truth and love happening. You're receiving God's truth and love, and you're giving God truth and love about your life. You're sharing your heart with him. And there's that intimacy. Remember how we defined intimacy? Into me you see. Into me I see. You see into me. He sees into us. We have this deep, I'm beginning to see into God. I see him. We begin to have this, this interaction. Let me go through these verses here. Keep your Bible open so we can refer back. So being led by the Spirit of God involves having intimacy with God involves, just to see, do you truly have intimacy with God? Do you have this relationship with God? Verses five and six, he says, setting the mind on the spirit, which brings life 
in peace. Your life is no better or no worse than the thoughts that you entertain in your head. Why is that? Because it sets the mood, the weather, the climate in your heart. But it goes much deeper than that when he says setting the mind on the spirit is really what has captivated, what has captured your heart's deepest loyalties and affections. So if you're setting your mind on the spirit, what you're saying is that God has captivated and captured my, my deepest heart's loyalties and affections. I want him more than anything. That's, that's what it means. So being led by the spirit of God, intimacy involves setting the mind on the spirit which brings life and peace. So, so here's a question for you. What is it that dominates your solitude? And what should dominate your solitude more and more is enjoying God's presence. So do you enjoy God's presence? Do you have a continuing conversation with God, a habitual conscious communion with God? Now, let me walk you through that you're gonna fit into one of three categories. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have a relationship with him, you've been reconciled and, and he's put his Holy Spirit within you, he's given you the greatest gift of himself to you, you have a relationship with God. So there's three different levels that you might be at. There's one, uh, you may be re uh, relating to God like a business associate. There's a business associate kind of a relationship. Business associate, you don't really like this business associate, but you know, you have conversations with them, they're very goal-oriented, but there's not much chit-chat when you think of business associate. Or the next level would be more of a friend, friend relationship. You enjoy doing things with them, you open your heart about some of the problems you're having, but the deepest level, so you got business associate, friend, but the deepest level would be a lover kind of relationship. Someone you love and is in love with you, there's a strong desire to talk about what you find beautiful in each other. You also know that there's different levels and different kinds of prayer. How many have ever heard a petition kind of prayer? The, the, the word that de describing prayer, we are to bring our petitions to God. Well, that would be kind of more of a uh, business associate. If that's all you ever do is bring your petitions to God, you're, you're just basically a, a business associate. You're coming to God with your list. Here, I need this done, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. And there's nothing wrong with petitionary prayer, but if that's all your prayer life consists of, you're just, you have, he's just a business associate. The next level would be more of confession, where you're beginning, you're beginning to open up your heart. You have a friendship kind of relationship with God. And certainly you're to confess your sins to God and work through those issues and confess your hurt and heartache to him. But when you start getting to that deeper level of, of a love kind of a relationship, it goes from petition to confession to adoration. Yes. You just love his presence. You love spending time with him. You have this ongoing kind of dialogue with him. He speaks to you. You love him. He's really with you. You have a sense of his presence on your heart. When you face a real hard obstacle, you just know he's, he's with you in that. Because your you, verses come to mind like Joshua 1.9 that says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Amen. And you go, yes. Yes. And, and, and so there's that, that adoration that begins to take place. The deeper the love relationship, the deeper the conversation goes toward toward personal adoration and praise. The Psalms, the book of Psalms gives us a great example of that. The book of Psalms is filled with petition, petition kind of prayers, and also confession, but it's loaded. It's loaded with adoration. I was thinking of a few examples of that. Psalm 1611, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's adoration. I mean, he's just basking in the reality of what he has in God. He's just, oh, God, you are with me, and you give me life. And another verse that came to mind for me as a favorite verse of mine is Psalm 9014. It says, uh, Psalm 9014, how, do, how does that go? It goes like, uh, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love so that I might rejoice and be glad all of my days. Ooh. I love that. That's good stuff. 
Oh my goodness, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love so that I may rejoice and be glad all of my days. See, that's adoration. He's asking, so it's, it's certainly petitional, and, and there's a bit of confession in that, that, that this is what I need, but ultimately it's saying, God, you're so good and your steadfast love is so satisfying that if you will satisfy me when my feet hit the floor early in the morning, I'm gonna rejoice all day long. Yeah. That's what he's saying. And so that's, that's all part of that. And that's, that's what you begin to see in this, in this relationship you have with God. Verses seven and eight. Uh, now go back to your text. So we're talking about being led by the Spirit of God. So being led by the Spirit of God, intimacy with God involves setting the mind on the Spirit which brings life and peace, which is just, man, you're just enjoying intimacy with God. And, and it's predominantly adoration. You're interacting with God. But it also is gonna involve, did you notice at verses seven and eight, it talks about those who set their mind on the flesh. They're hostile to God. They do not uh, submit to God's law and they cannot please God. So the opposite of that would be true to those who have set their mind on the spirit. They're gonna love God. They're gonna submit to God's law and they're gonna wanna please God. And then also verse nine, he says, uh, we know that we belong to Christ because we were purchased at an infinite uh, cost. We begin to realize that there's something deep in our heart. As I'm being led by the spirit of God, he reminds me of the cost of Christ on the cross for me, that I've been purchased and I, I belong to him. And then verses 11 and 12, we realize we have resurrection power working in us, that there's nothing that we will ever face, whether trial or temptation, that is beyond the power that is within us. That's what he's saying here. And then verses 12 through 13, you feel forever indebted to God and want to kill sin. I don't know about you, but uh, Nancy and I, we snuck in. Uh, I, I listened to the, the last two weekends' uh, messages. They were really super good. Darren did a fantastic job. Gave me a, a sense that I, I need to do a little better job at really understanding that I have that resurrection power living within me. And then last weekend, uh, talking about killing sin, oh my goodness, I, I brought my notes up here. We snuck in uh, kind of late to the breezeway. Hey, breezeway folks, good to see you out there. <laughs> And so we snuck in second service in the breezeway and I took notes and, and as I was working through these notes, I came up with uh, one, two, three, four, five and then throughout this week as I was interacting with God, I got, I've got six uh, sins that my wife needs to work on. And, uh, okay, that was actually for my wife. It was actually for me. I came up with that the Lord began to deal with me, self-pity, impatience, envy, people-pleasing, performance, and then I've been working through a book on happiness and I realized I am not happy enough. If I really understood what I have in Jesus, I'd be a whole lot happier. And it was very convicting for me and yet I knew that God was dealing with me and I loved that. So my question for you is that how, how is he dealing with you? What is he saying to you? You ought to be able to walk out of this service this morning and go, wow. God spoke to me. This is what he's wanting me to understand. The first thing that he wants you to understand is for you to hear deep in the center of your being, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That's the first thing. And then in that context, then he's gonna start dealing with some of the junk in your life and how you tend to chase after the things of the flesh thinking that those are gonna make you happy and satisfied as opposed to him. And then you're gonna be, begin to kill sin. And that's what, uh, that's what it means to be led by the spirit of God. They are truly the... The sons of God, as it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you feel forever indebted to God and want to kill sin. In fact, you're going to even do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to be willing to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye to deal with sin. Obviously, not, not literally, because I would be up here with no hands and no eyes. And then that wouldn't work, that wouldn't work out very good, would it? But he's saying figuratively, you're going to take drastic measures because, man, you do not want anything to interfere with your relationship with God. And, uh, and so what he's saying in all of this, in other words, we are led to hate the things the Spirit hates, which is sin and love, the things that he loves, Christ. We are thus led by the Spirit of God, becoming so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. That's our definition for holiness. We're just becoming so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. And let me, let me just say this. Everybody look up here just for a moment, and then you can get back to your notes. Once you've tasted of intimacy with God, nothing compares. Nothing competes. Nothing completes you walking and knowing and being led by the Spirit of God and having Him in your life. 
Listen to me. There's no, there's no romance on this planet that can give you the love that only he can give you. That, by the way, that keeps you from running into crazy romantic uh, experiences uh, prematurely and stupidly, okay? Is that a word? Yeah, okay. And I see people do that. It's like, dude, you're too desperate, man. Why are you chasing that? You need to have your heart filled up with his love, and then you're going to be able to say no to some of the craziness that's in your life. And, and so, listen, there's, there is no money in your bank account, no amount of money that you could ever have that can give you the security that only he can give you. There's no success in this world that can give you the significance that only he can give you. And it comes out of this intimacy with him. Let's continue on. So here's the next thing is that verse, uh, the second point is security. So out of that intimacy, there's this amazing security. And, and right here, let me say it again, this is what ails us right here. Anytime we're overtaken by temptation, anytime we're overwhelmed by trials, it's because we, are not, we don't know this. We desperately need to know this. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me, uh, let me share with you just something here real quickly before we kind of move on. I'll give you a couple more fill in the blanks here in a minute. But earthly fathers, and I think you would agree with this, earthly fathers shape our concept of our heavenly father, either good or bad. Would you agree with that? Amen. Yeah. God being your daddy is a hard concept for some of us to embrace because our earthly daddy, our earthly father was abusive and or neglectful. And I just want to say, I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. That is, that is a hard burden. This is an extremely hard burden to overcome. I know a lot of people that reject God because of what they were raised in. If you look at how a lot of people act out in their life in crazy ways, you can trace it a lot of times right back to their, their relationship with their, their earthly daddy and their earthly mom and, and how what went down in their home. But look, at, here's your fill in the blank. This is the point that I want you to get. This verse is absolutely a stunningly beautiful truth that is meant to bring healing and wholeness to your soul as you live more and more in the reality of it. See, what, what the writer here, Paul, is wanting us to understand uh, that in this intimacy, we have amazing security that God is, and is so, so what about if I, I come from a home that was pretty busted up and there was either abuse or neglect and I'm still struggling with this and so when I, when I relate to God, I tend to relate to him based on what I experienced in, in this world. And in, in my relationship with dad, uh, my earthly dad, I transfer that over to my heavenly dad. Well, here's what we need to understand, and through this verse is that God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It tells us Psalm 34, 18. And God's loving presence in our lives can restore any and every kind of brokenness. It doesn't matter who you are or what has been done to you. He can restore your life. He can bring healing to your brokenness. And so when I start talking about this, this, he's our daddy, we cry out, Abba, Father, and it doesn't kind of stir you much. Maybe there's something broken inside of you that kind of resists that. And, uh, and just know that he can restore that. It doesn't matter who you are or what has been done to you. Nothing brings greater healing and wholeness and health like knowing, like knowing that the heart of the Lord of the universe is ravished and smitten with you and by you. When that begins to take hold of your life, what, what did you just say? Yeah, the, the creator and the sustainer of the universe is smitten and ravished by you. That, that's what this verse is saying. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So let me give you some uh, questions to see. Because you're going to relate to God either as a slave or a son. And so all you have to do is look at, look at how you're responding to the circumstances of life. It's either you're going to be like a slave or like a son. So here's some questions. Are my feelings and behavior in life more like a slave who is afraid of God or is it like a child who is assured of his father's love? 
Is it joyless, fear-motivated compliance to rules, or is it joyful, love-motivated commitment to relationship? In moments of failure with sin, do you run and hide from God, or do you run into his loving presence for help and forgiveness? Next point on your notes. That we can call the creator and sustainer of the universe daddy is beyond words. There's, there's no other belief system, there's no other religious system that, that, that has this. <laughs> Christianity is the only one that we could call God, the creator, daddy. By the way, that's, that's baby talk, what he's saying here. That's, that's a kid that can't even really say much other than ga-ga, da-da. And the word that he's using here, cry, is deep emotion, The only person who dares wake up a king or a president at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access to God and that kind of affection from God. He hears your cry in the way a parent hears the painful cry of their child. Now, every adult here knows this. uh, At least every parent knows this. You know the difference between cries you know the spoiled brat cry? The temper tantrum cry? You guys know what I'm talking about. And then, yeah, baby, yeah. Uh, and then you know the difference between that and then that painful, I'm in pain cry. What does that do to you as an adult or as a, as a parent? Oh my God, it rips your heart out. And that's what it's saying, that he understands our pain. He knows those sleepless nights. He knows the the tossing and turning. Pour your heart out to him. He's there with you. He loves you. He sees your struggle and your turmoil. You don't have to face that alone. That's, That's what it's saying here. It's amazing. Now, he uses a word here, it's adoption. Um... And it's a, it's a fabulous word. Adoption was not a second-class status in, in the biblical culture. Adoption occurred when a, when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate or thought that his heir was incompetent to handle his estate, so he would then adopt someone as an heir, and it would be either a child or a youth or an adult. And the moment adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. One was that all old debts were immediately canceled, and any new debts were covered by dad. And then the second thing is this, this, uh, this adopted one had a brand new name and instantly became the heir of all that the father had, never to be taken from them. It could not be taken from them. In fact, adoption in these days actually carried more weight and more significance than biological kids. Once you adopted a child, that's why the Bible uses this language, because it's so powerful. The third thing is this new son had new obligations to honor and please his father. Uh, Let me give you a story here that I think will help you to understand this. A few weeks ago, uh, Joe Bridgewater called me up and says, hey man, I gotta tell you a story here. I was in my Tuesday morning men's group, and uh, Jeff Gennaro, who leads that group, um, by the way, you guys, some of you know who Jeff and Jewel Gennaro are. They're wonderful people. They're great people. They, they, they love the Lord, and they, they are just really uh, involved here at Desert Breeze and minister and serve in so many different ways. And he leads this men's group on Tuesday morning here on our campus, and he shared a story about his own life. And Joe said, there was not a dry eye in the place. And I said, well, okay, so tell me the story. So he, he shared the story with me, and uh, I teared up. And so I, then I shared the story with my wife, and she teared up. And then so I called up Jeff and said, Jeff, you've got to write that story down, because I'm going to be talking about adoption here in a few weeks, and I want to share that story. And so guess what? He wrote it down for me, and I got it right here. And I want to share this story with you. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to listen to this in light of what we're, just, we're talking about, that we're his adopted kids. And this is what he says. He says, I entered the Gennaro family before my first birthday. As a young boy, I came to realize my brother, sisters, and I were somewhat different than my friends' families. Our family was rock solid, yet every few months a stranger would appear and ask my parents questions about us. How were we, how were we doing? Was it time for one of us uh, to be moved to another family? That was when I began to understand that we were foster care kids, and my brother tried to explain what a social worker was. 
Twice a year, two women would visit and say they were my mom and aunt. In the summer, a social worker, stranger, would bring two boys to our house and say, these are your brothers. Every year, right after Christmas, my mom and dad would have to drop me off at a home in Brooklyn to stay overnight. They were nice enough, but I would beg to come home. All of these events and more created a deep insecurity within me. As I look back, it seems I tested my mom and dad's love many times. In other words, this insecurity creates this acting out in a lot of different ways. One summer day, as an Italian family, we often had family uh, gatherings at our home on Long Island. My father had nine brothers and sisters, and my mom had ten. This weekend was my dad's family, an outdoor barbecue on the patio. After dinner, they often shared their kids' stories and activities. Mine just tended to be more interesting and challenging than my cousin's. I went inside to use the bathroom. The window was open, and it was near the patio. As I stood at the sink, I overheard the following conversation. My Aunt Anna after hearing of my most recent events, suggested my mom and dad consider returning me to the foster agency. Stunned, I began to shake as this was the unspoken fear. Then, in one moment, my life changed. My father, in a voice we knew very well, told his own sister that if she ever spoke of him, of me, in that way again, she would no longer be welcome in our home. He said, Anna, Jeffrey is my son, and nothing will ever change that. And even though I never had reason to doubt their love, I now could feel it with confidence. To my dad, I was his then and forever. I love that. I mean, I was, uh, when, he, when, when he wrote this down, I began to read this, and I heard that story. I was having that, almost that experience between me and my daddy in heaven with him reminding me, you're mine now and forever. Here's your next point on your notes. This is what you need to understand. It's that there has never been or will be a parent on earth who wants joy for their child as much as your father in heaven wants joy for you. Never, ever, 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 ever. So, so parents and, and adults, you don't even have to have children. Just your heart towards kids, your heart goes out towards kids in such a way that you begin to think, wow, if, if I love them that much and would lay my life down for them, even more so, even more so does our Heavenly Father have those deep affections for you and I. God's fatherly love for you means not only intimacy, but also absolute security. He will never, ever neglect you or abuse you because as your heavenly father, as your daddy, he wants the best for you. Don't let that bounce off of you. He wants the best for you. He has your best interest at heart. How do I know that? Well, there's a verse that we're going to eventually get to in this text. I mean, besides all of the other verses, but here's something we're going to study in a few weeks. You've heard me quote it many times before. It's Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? If he took care of our worst problem by reconciling us to himself and giving us the greatest gift of himself to us, won't he take care of all of our other problems? Yes, 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 yes. So when I start doubting, I always go back to the cross. I always go back to the cross. Wait, 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 wait. You, you showed me once and for all how much you love me, your affection towards me. Lord, let this go deep in my heart. And that's why we need the next word, assurance. We need assurance. I mean, I mean, we have intimacy, we have security, but sometimes we don't live like it, so we need assurance. We need this next, next verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you, you were to say to me, I know God is my Father and he loves and cares for me, but I'm still paralyzed by fear. This is how I would respond to that. I would reply by saying, then that means you don't truly know that God is your father and he loves and cares for you. Because if you did, then fearlessness would overshadow fearfulness. 
See, the more it goes from your head down deep into your heart. See, you can spout those words all day long. You need to have an experience of it on your heart. That has to go deep into your heart. And when it does, hope and affection for God will begin to rise within you. Here's your next point in your notes. The best defense to the lies we hear in our hearts is the rehearsal of the truth of God. We've got to take verses like this and memorize them and meditate on them because there's power in God's word. He's speaking to us. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And we need to do this through the power of the spirit. That's the next one. So you get truth of God, spirit of God, Holy Spirit illuminates his word, makes this logic, sets this logic on fire in our hearts and we need the support of the people of God community we need people that when we start thinking crazy stuff that they can say that's crazy that's not what the Bible says God loves you Jesus gave his life for you let me preach it into your heart come on so we need those kind of people in our lives here's the next point on your notes Your heavenly father's love and care for you must become more real to you than your earthly father's neglect and abuse. There's an interesting story here. I think it's a good illustration. It's uh, Thomas Goodwin. He, He tells the story of a father and son. And this is what he says. Picture a man walking along a road with his little boy, holding hands with his little boy. Maybe they're out in a park somewhere and you're kind of watching them as they walk through the park. Father and son, son and father. The little boy knows the man is his father and that his father loves him. And suddenly the father stops, picks up the boy, lifts him up into his arms, embraces him and kisses him, just kind of smothers him with with affection and kisses. The boy is actually no more a son when he's being embraced and kissed than he was before. The father's action has not changed the status of the boy, but oh, oh, the difference in the enjoyment of that status. That is what is being described here, and that's what he's saying in verse 16. That's, that's all it is. It is as simple as that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is what I'm saying. There's got to be those moments in your life, and I hope that maybe this morning as you're singing some of these songs and as we're reading this text, as I was sharing this story, there had to have been a moment where you just felt like God had just swooped you up into his arms and was smothering you with, with kisses, with his affection. Are there times like that in your life? I hope there are. That's what he's talking about here. And that, my Sabbath is on Friday, and... Uh, and boy, that's, that's my goal on Sabbath. It's just, I, wanna, I need to be hugged. I need to be held. I need to be swooped up into your arms. I want to know your love and affection for me. I don't want to just know it as a concept. I know that, that legally, yes, you've done everything to, to reconcile me to you. You give me your Holy Spirit. But I need to have a sense of it on my heart. I need to know it subjectively. And that's what I cry out for. And that's why I meditate and memorize Scripture. That's why I spend time in worship, in adoration, And that's why when we go on vacation, I do a lot of that. As my wife and I are on our tandem going from coffee shop to coffee shop. (laughs) And just enjoying the presence of God. Just enjoying him. Do you enjoy him? Do you enjoy his presence? Are there times where he just sweeps you up into his arms? There's nothing like that. Oh my goodness, I I can't even put it into words. I I can't do this for you. you. You can't ride my shirt tail. You've got to have this experience yourself. You have to have that sense where you can come to me and say, Pastor Ray, I I had that sense of his love in my heart. Oh, my goodness, you're right. I can't put it into words. That's my prayer for you. I pray that every weekend. That when you come in here, you have that overwhelming sense of his presence. He loves you. I don't don't experience it near enough in my life. I, I want more of that. And I want a lot more of that for you in your life. Look at Proverbs 27.10. I don't know if this is on your notes, but I think it's a cross-reference. But listen to what David says. David's running the full gamut of issues that he's facing. He says, whether there's 100,000 enemies that are surrounding me or whether, or whether even if my mom and dad abandon me, they forsake me, 
This is what he says uh, in this. He says, one thing I have asked, this is what I seek. These are verses that I've memorized years ago that were really helpful in dealing with fear in my own heart. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So he runs the full gamut of issues that can happen to him. And then in that, verse 4 is kind of the center of it. Here's the remedy. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. What is he talking about there? Intimacy, security, an experience of the presence of God in his life. If I've got that, I can face anything. And that's why he says in verse 27, 10, my For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord, but the Lord will take me in. The great basis of Christian assurance is not how much your heart is committed to God, but how much his heart is committed to you. It's not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. Listen to me. If if you only, if you only knew the father heart of God for you, If you only knew the Father heart of God for you, if you only knew the Father heart of God for you, it would change everything. It would change everything in your life. Worship would replace worry. Belief would replace bitterness. Delight would replace would replace depression. So fearlessness happens through intimacy, security, assurance. We're almost finished here. The last one, we're going to spend more time next week on this one. Inheritance, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This means that we have an incredible future waiting for us. In biblical times, if you lived in a large family, all the children were loved, but the first child was the heir who got the largest part of the wealth and carried the family name. And it was, it was a way to, for, for a great family, uh, they were able to keep their influence intact and did not have it divided in, and dissipated in the culture. And so really what he's saying here, let me give you a couple more fill in the blanks here. So as God's children, we are heirs of God. All that the Father is and has is ours. And I gave you what, what that is. He owns the world. That's ours. That's going to be ours. And we have God himself. That's what also, we're going to get more of God. We get glimpses now, later, when we're with him face to face. And then we get redeemed and glorified bodies. I gave, I gave you that in, in the parentheses here. Paul is saying something quite stunning that all Christians are firstborn heirs of God. All that the Father has is ours. This is an immeasurably spectacular promise that should fill us with hope, even in suffering. What we have, here's your next couple fill in the blanks. What we have in store for us is so grand and glorious, so grand and glorious that it will make any suffering in this life look light and momentary in comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 makes that clear. And it will make us feel like the firstborn child that got the largest part of the wealth. But notice he says here, provided we suffer with him. That's the last fill in the blank here. Suffering reveals our motivations in the faith. Are you serving God or you want God to serve you? Sir Robert Lestrange puts it this way, he who serves God for money will serve the devil for better wages. So suffering will test whether or not you truly have intimacy with God and have security in him. It'll put that to test. We'll talk more about it next week. Human beings are unavoidably hope-based creatures. How we live in the present is inevitably shaped by what we believe about our future. And hope in the Bible is not... uh, I hope so. It's not wishful thinking, but it's confident, joyful expectation. Picture this life as a journey on your way to receive a spectacular inheritance. If you begin to do that, begin to experience that, it will protect you from idolatry, it'll make your burdens lighter, and it'll quiet your murmurings, your complaining. Here's the way John Newton put it from the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He put it this way. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him 
if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, when an inheritance awaits him that is beyond his wildest dreams. Hope in suffering is what we're going to talk about next weekend. And I, I can't help but think this morning, there's a few of us, I know there was, there was a number of us last night, I can't help but think that there's a number of us that struggle with this whole idea of seeing God as our daddy. Man, you, you just struggle with that because maybe your dad was, was absent, he was abusive, he was neglectful, whatever. How many would just say, hey, that's, that's me? You'd be bold enough to say, yeah, that's me. Show of hands, show of hands, show of hands, show of hands all the way. Yep, 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 yep. How many uh, would, maybe you didn't come from a home that was, you didn't feel the abuse or the neglect, but man, you still struggle with that for, for who knows what reasons there might be. How many would say, that's you, show, show of hands, you still struggle, even though you come from a decent home, still struggle, struggle, yep, yep, yep. I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to do this if you don't want, but if you raised your hand just to stand right where you're at, because I wanna, I'd like to have a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song that really kind of puts this all together, puts kind of a good ending on that. Would you, why don't you stand right where you are? Those of you that raised your hand, just stand right where you're at. Just stand. Okay, and those of you that are still sitting, look around and, and find someone that's standing close by, and I want you to walk over to them and put your hand on them, and we're going to pray. We're going to do a prayer here. Make sure that everybody's covered. Make sure everybody's covered. The Bible talks about how there's this united prayer that brings a dynamic of God's presence. There's healing in this room this morning. You guys know that. And there's something about the laying on of hands. The Bible says that there's a dispensing of God's grace when we put our hands on each other's shoulders and we, we wrap our arm around their shoulder, that there's something that God brings into people's lives through our lives as we pray for one another. I want you to experience that this morning. I want you to experience that. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you for this, for this teaching. Thank you for your word. Father God, by your grace, through faith in your son, we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God, you know the hearts of those that raise their hand that struggle with this. Heal their broken hearts. Save those who are crushed in spirit. God, may we learn to rehearse these truths. We have learned today of our intimacy and security, of being your children. And we pray that, that your spirit would bear witness with our spirit, giving us an unshakable assurance and filling us with a hope because of the spectacular inheritance we have in you. And may fearlessness overshadow our fearfulness as your sons and daughters, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.